How many of you know God is a good father? He's a good, good father as we sing. Um, and as a good father, his desire for us is that we would grow up. I'm saying that we would mature. And um, today's message is, is from 1 Corinthians 6, the back end of 1 Corinthians 6. And it is, sex is spiritual. That's the title of our message. Sex is spiritual. Um, I should mention um, that we're in chapter 6, verse 12 to 20. I should mention this whole thing about my hand. Um, just briefly, um, I, I lost a battle with a power tool this week. And would you believe, I'd made a commitment to do my garden fence. And the first day of my leave, Monday was bank holiday, Tuesday, <laughs> the first day of my leave, broke my hand. Um, and so, praise God anyway, it's, it's on the mend. And um, it probably looks worse than it is. And um, yeah, just in case you are wondering, probably distracted by my hand to the point where you never even heard what I said. I don't know. Um, back to my topic and title, sex is spiritual. How many of you know sex has always, at all times, in all places, been an, in, been an important topic? Um, if there were ever a top 100 of kind of popular topics of all time, you, you know that sex is going to be in the top 10, always. <laughs> Can I say that's true outside the church, but that's also true inside the church. And it's one of those things that we need to give attention to. Um, it's one of those kind of topics that is a bit taboo that, you know I'm saying, that possibly some churches don't really want to talk about. But like I said, if it's in the top 10, inside and outside, we need to talk about it. And the Bible has a lot to say about this topic, which we'll see momentarily. Um, now, although it's a perpetual hot topic, as I said, not everyone sees this issue of sex in the, in the same way, right? There are those that see it as just a physical, inconsequential, biological experience. I'm saying it's just, it's just, it just means nothing. That's why people can link, you know what I'm saying? And it just means nothing. And then you've got some who are kind of in between who, they're like, well, it's, it's important and it's a way that I can express my love to another person or they express their love to me. Um, but it doesn't have to be done in marriage, you know what I'm saying? You can be in a long-term relationship and be committed to one another. You don't have to be married, you know what I'm saying? So they see it more important as the first group, but it's not that important that they see it as the third category, see it, which is to see it as sacred, see it as holy, you know what I'm saying? A third way to see it is that sex is significant and it's actually a very spiritual experience. Different people see sex in different ways, but the Bible is really quite clear. And particularly that, that, particularly that third point is the one that I want to emphasize today. Um, so let's read the text and then I'll pray and then we'll jump in. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 to 20 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? A temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your word. Um, as I've been working, Lord, this week on this fence, I see how important it is to have a spirit level, a plumb line, something that helps us to see what is straight and true versus that which is bent and skewiff. And Father, thank you that your word is literally a spirit level, the Holy Spirit level that helps us to see what is true, what is straight. And I pray, Father, that you would help us um, to measure our lives, like Pastor E said earlier. It's one thing to, to look at others. Help us to measure our lives personally, Lord, against your plumb line, against your spirit level, to see where our lives are at today. And as we do so, Lord, help us to respond in ways that will <clears throat> do us good and bring you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen to myself. Ain't no one here to say it. Only a couple of men. Big up the team still, helping out today, working so hard week to week. So, 1 Corinthians. Um, just to kind of summarize the book a little bit, just to help us to get to where we are. Um, this book has three major sections. 1 Corinthians, 16 chapters. It has three major sections, and it's helpful always to look at a book in that manner to see what, you know, what the sections are, because it helps us to understand where we are, when we are. And so chapter 1 through 4 is Paul the Apostle responding to reports of division in the church. Chapter 1 through to chapter 4, we covered that. Chapter 5 through chapter 6 is Paul responding to reports of a few different things. Reports of incest, reports of litigation between um, believers. And today, as we conclude this second section... Um, we're going to be looking at sexual immorality. And these are issues that Paul is responding to um, with regards to this church that's based in Corinth, which is northern Greece. Chapter 7 through to chapter 16, which we're going to pick up from next week. I say we. It's not me preaching next week. But from chapter 7 through to chapter 16 is our third section. And in that section, we will begin to see from next week. Um, Paul's going to be answering questions um, that, that, that this church in Corinth had, had written to him previously about, and he's beginning to unpack answers to the questions that they asked. Um, and again, we'll begin to see that next week. <clears throat> um, so jumping back one step from next week to the end of this second se section, um, Paul's responding to this issue of sexual immorality. And the church... Um, uh, well... If you like, 
The chapter continues Paul's confrontation of the Corinthian Christians over these issues that are taking place in the church. And, and Paul's outraged. He's outraged um, at the fact that they would take one another to, to court, you know what I'm saying, and have these lawsuits over minor issues. We saw that two weeks ago with Pastor Mike talking about hanging out your dirty laundry. Just deal with it, in, deal, with, deal with it around the corner. Deal with it in the church. You don't have to take that out there in front of unbelievers. And it's not even big, big issues either. And it's not, you know Instead of suing each other in that manner, and upset with your trivial issues in the church, we saw. Then last week, Pastor B, Pastor Bertram, showed us that you know, we've got, we got a new life in an old world. And right there you see a contrast. A new life in an old world. And he showed us that we need to notice, we need to live up to our new identity in Christ instead of living down to the sexually immoral standards of the culture. And this sets up discussions for this week and also as we go into next week into chapter 7 as it begins to deal with this issue of marriage quite specifically like head on. So today Paul's going to argue that these Corinthian Christians have a much too casual attitude about sexual immorality. Um, And beyond formal kind of literal laws, Paul insists that the standard for Christian behavior um, must be whether a, 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 must be underlined with regards to being helpful or, in contrast to that, enslaving. And I'm saying it's like, apart from laws that you can legislate, you can't do this and you can't do that, some, some issues um, we deal with um, are not that cut and dry. I mean, this one is, this one is, this sexual immorality issue is, is cut and dry. But also, Paul wants to argue, look, apart from obeying the law, literally, that the letter, let's also talk about the fact that if you don't obey the law, it's actually not helpful. And there are ramifications for that, you know what I'm saying? And he's pleading, if you like, not just on the basis of, well, you must, the law says this, you must keep it. He's saying, come, let's reason, isn't it? And um, he's saying behaving in ways that contradict the law, are they helpful? You know what I'm saying? Furthermore, there are some things that you can do that are not necessarily legislated, but they can end up enslaving you and being very unhelpful. Now, one of the things that he, 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 he emphasizes here is that sex is more than a mere bodily function. God designed it, that is sex, right from the beginning, right from Genesis chapter 2, God designed it to unite two people together in an extraordinary way. You know what I'm saying? Two people coming together and making one unit in marriage. And Paul's, part of Paul's argument, we would like to say, is if you don't understand this, then you're immature in your thinking as a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Therefore, there's a need for you, for us, if that's our perspective, to grow up, to mature. I have two simple points today. Number one, sex is straightforward. <laughs> Don't watch the, the hype. Verse 12 to 14, sex is straightforward. And my second point is sex is sacred, which is verse 15 to verse 20. So that's how our section divides up, if you like. Now, 
these Corinthian Christians, they have a warped and twisted perspective on many things as we've seen. And that because of one, an ungodly, secular, surrounding culture that's pervasive and influencing them. And two, two, a misunderstanding of Christian teaching on grace. You know what I'm saying? And what it is, you know what I'm saying? Um, and if you like, um, this misunderstanding of the Christian teaching on grace in terms of what it is and, um, and uh, what is and what is not acceptable behavior in the scope of God's grace. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, sometimes we can take grace for granted. And we see this confusion outlined here in these first verses of our section, our first section. So verse 12 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Surely. That's got to be part of the response. I can do anything, innit? But, wait a minute, yeah, you can, but, come on now, take time, because the anything that you choose to do may have implications and ramifications for you personally and also for others, you know what I'm saying? It ain't necessarily going to be helpful. All things are lawful for me, if you like, and I, think, I feel like this is what Paul is now saying, but he says, I will not be enslaved by anything. He's like, be careful. Go into this, go into this, um, option of doing whatever you like with a seatbelt on. Be careful. You know what I mean? First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12, I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, it says, you say, says the writer Paul, like saying to these Corinthians, you say, I am allowed to do anything. You know what I'm saying? But then he, report, he retorts, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, if you like, says Paul, I must, I must not become a slave to anything. And if you like, he's saying that's the danger. You know what I'm saying? On the one hand, Scripture is emphatic that those who are in Christ Jesus are not subject, you know what I'm saying, to the law of Moses. It's not like, okay, in order for you to get saved, you have to keep the law. Because nobody can keep the law. We all break the law. We're all lawbreakers. You know what I'm saying? Um... And as Pastor E said earlier, we need God's forgiveness in order for us to come into a relationship with him. It's not by keeping the law, because no one can keep it. No one's perfect, right, in that sense. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, or we've all sh fallen short of God's perfect standard. None of us meet up to that standard, right? So at no point trying to keep a standard that you can't keep. That's one of the big, you know what I'm saying, um, points in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, Christians, another thing is Christians with regards to this law, especially Old Testament law, Christians are free to eat old covenant restricted food, you know what I'm saying, like prawns or like, um, like pork. I'm saying don't, don't, don't let no one tell you you can't eat these things. Now whether they're good for you <laughs> is another thing. And this is, if you like, a kind of the point. Also, there's, there's, there's the whole thing about keeping you know, Sabbath laws and um, special holidays required by religious um, Judaism, who, Jews who follow the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? It's like there are so many things in there we don't have to keep. We talked about this a few weeks ago with regards to like tattoos and so on. You know what I'm saying? There's loads of restrictions lifted. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and, and I think more than that, as Paul has written in the previous verse, those in Christ have already been washed of their sins, sanctified in Christ, um, Brother Bertram talked about last week, and declared justified by God. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that transaction with regards to our sin has been complete. Jesus said it is finished, right? And we're saved. Now, the point is, 
Now that I'm saved from those things that I used to do that I know are sin, can I continue to do them? You know what I'm saying? Like, can I continue now to just do whatever I want? You know what I'm saying? And this particular specific issue of sexual immorality, which is a big hot topic, you know what I'm saying? It's one that affects every single one of us, bar none, bar none. Can we continue to practice sexual immorality in the way that we used to before we were washed, before we were cleansed, before we were forgiven and saved? You know what I'm saying? That's a part of the question, isn't it? Some will say, well, why not do whatever comes naturally? Whatever our bodies desire. You know what I'm saying? And that's the question Paul seems to be answering in this and the following verses. In doing so, he sheds light, if you like, on the problem of using trite cliches which don't come from the Bible. Like like if you read in the English text, there are quotation marks around these statements. They're helping us to see that they're quotation marks, but the original language doesn't have quotation marks. You know what I'm saying? They're not in the ancient writing. However, the phrase Paul uses here appears to be a slogan or a common expression used at the time. And perhaps it was even being used by the believers in in Corinth. They're saying, all things are lawful for me. (laughs) It's a bit like today we say, YOLO. You know what I'm saying? You know, you only live once, so go hard. You know what I'm saying? Party hard. And I'm saying, whatever you do, go hard, because you're only going to live once, right? Common slogan, similar to what was being used then. Another common slogan is, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Argue with that. I mean, many of us, I got saved when I was 21. I've got to be careful, my mum's watching, listening. But, you know what I'm saying? There were things that we got up to before we got saved that were not wholesome, that were not righteous, that were not godly, right? That were... How can it be wrong when it feels so right? Common statement. But is that, is, is that right? <laughs> is that a healthy statement? Imagine if you live your life on that basis. You just do what feels right, what feels right dangerous and I think this is a part of what's going on here here's another common cultural expression in verse 13 food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food I'm saying and God will destroy both one and the other it's like it's not a big deal what's the big deal so if you like if, 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 if food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food it's like they're saying well sex is for the body and the body is for sex look how the body's built the body's built for sex Male and female, look how they wonderfully work together. It makes sense, what I'm saying. But Paul is like, no. He says, you're trivializing a very, like, you can't talk about food and the stomach in one breath and then talk about sex and the body in another like they're similar and, and parallel with regards to importance. No. No. You're trivializing a very important issue Don't you understand the implications of such thinking? The body is not meant for sexual sexual immorality. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. But for the Lord, 
Paul says, and the Lord for the body. You want to talk about what this is, like what this is and who it's for, or what this, what this is and what it's for? The stomach is for food and food's for the stomach. And I'm saying like the body's for sex and sex is for the body. No, Paul says no. The body <laughs> is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. How many, how many of us have come to that point in our lives where we realize that? I'm saying, and we realize, we realize that Everything we say, everything we do, I'm saying, has implications. You know what I mean? For us and for others. You know, chapter 10 of this book, verse 31, Paul's going to say, you know what? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory, to the glory of God. And what Paul says, look, as trivial as food and drink is, you know what I'm saying, that must be, the, even that can be done to the glory of God. But when you come to serious issues like sex, oh my gosh. If food and drink is something that we, we can do to the glory of, like, don't overeat, innit? Don't be a glutton, innit? <laughs> like, exercise, innit? That's, this is, these things are good. You can, you, you can live your life with, with regards to those things in a God-glorifying way. But it's just, it's quote-unquote just food and drink. How about sex? How much, how much, much more important, how much more gravity does an issue like that have in comparison? Do everything, the small quote-unquote stuff, but also the big stuff to the glory of God. And we're going to see him come back to this at the end. Paul's argument to these Corinthian Christians partly is also your body won't just be discarded when it dies. I mean, our sister Fiona, she's gone to be with the Lord in a couple of weeks ago now, a week and a half ago, nearly two weeks. And, you know what I mean? She knows now that her body, you know what I'm saying, wasn't just for this life. Now, there's an argument as to whether when, 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 the, when the new body meets the, the, you know what I'm saying, the spirit, and you know I'm saying, it could be some, sometime in the future, not to get into that. But at some point, we're guaranteed that we're going to get a new body. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Would you believe this is the same hand that I mash up my thumb on? No, I mash up my, my finger on this same hand. Look forward to the day when, you know what I'm saying, I have a fully functioning body. No more urticaria. You know, I've got this thing, idiopathic urticaria. You're like, what's that? Yeah. It's this autoimmune dis disease that I, I, I struggle with and have done for about 15, 20, 25 years. Longer than that. 30 years over. And it comes and goes and, you know what I mean? Now, you might look at me and think, oh, Pastor Rob, you look quite healthy. Um, I suppose in one sense I am, you know what I'm saying? But in another sense, I'm not. And getting old now, you know, Pastor E, body's starting to break down. Like, even before my hand got mashed up, there's me picking up. I had to mash up some whole heap of concrete in the back of my garden. And really, I should have got a, a, one of them pneumatic drills. Um, I took the cheaper option in it and got two sledgehammers. And me and Jordan mash up about one and a half tons of concrete. Lord Jesus, and that I mean, and at the end, like, uh, it, uh, uh, my back started to tweak, but it never went, but then we had to get this compactor, because I'm trying to do my patio as well, and um, this compactor thing, it compacts the, 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 the dirt, and then you lay another layer of ballast, and you lay another, and you've got to compact all these little five, five or six layers, you've got to compact them, and we, I got this thing from HSS, and the thing, I don't know how much that thing weighed, but me and Jordan tried to pick up the thing, and when we picked it up, eventually, I felt my back go. 
And that was before I mashed up my hand. <laughs> so in one sense, I thought maybe mashing up my hand was actually a blessing because I would have maybe paralyzed myself with all of this back-breaking work that I had to do. My point is, I'm looking forward to getting a new body in it. And, um, and, and Paul's point is, don't just think your body is for this life. Therefore, okay, well, it's, if, we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're blessed enough, 60, 70 years, you know what I'm saying? And then, okay, it's done. So whatever you do with the body, you see, and this was the thinking of that culture, you know and I'm saying the body's really not that important. So whatever you do with the body is, that, is, 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 is not that important. But Paul's saying, no, your body won't be discarded when you die. Momentarily it will, and I'm saying, as if it's significant, you know and I'm saying, it's got, got no, God is going to, look, verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And Jesus is seated by the right hand of the Father in a physical body. And I'm saying, remember he said to the disciples, touch, feel. Put your hand in the, the wounds. You ever see a spirit, have, um, a, a spirit have bone and flesh? Jesus, had, on another occasion, ate with them, ate fish on the riverside with them. And I mean, you, you, like, he, was, he had a physical, albeit a supernatural body, but it was physical. You could touch it, you could see it, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, he could walk through walls, but... God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. These Corinthian Christians thought that anything that is physical is temporal and non-spiritual is the point. No, the body you have isn't just for this temporary physical life. It's eternal. It's just going to look much better. It's going to perform much. It's going to function much better. And I'm saying in eternity. When you die, true, it goes into the ground, but it will be resurrected your body is physical, but it is also very much spiritual. Imagine Paul having to say to these guys, you're not supposed to sleep with prostitutes. Having to write them a letter, spelling it out, you know, that you must not sleep with prostitutes. This, as I mentioned before, was a throwback to the surrounding culture. Um, Sam, flash up that next um, thing for me, brother. Um, the temple, here's, here's, a, here's a little um, kind of insignia from the temple of Aphrodite. Um, this was a temple literally in the city of Corinth. And um, across the whole of Greece, you know what I'm saying? There was this consistent, regular, perpetual um, temple prostitution. Literally, women who were in the temple, um, you know what I'm saying, morning till evening, maybe even through the night sometimes, and um, where men could come along and, and have what was spiritual sex. Um, sex was a part of a ritual that sought blessings from the Greek gods. And I bet, this, I bet it wasn't hard to get people to join that religion. You know what I'm saying? It's a sinful dream come true, you know what I'm saying? And prostitution in the temple, this spiritual escapade, involved both sexes um, differently. Women from all ages, you know what I'm saying, were there as prostitutes, and young men were also prostitutes. 
which speaks, which is why last week's text speaks so powerfully, because of the context, you had, male, you, had, you had heterosexual sex and you had homosexual sex going on. And, and both of them was wrong. You know what I mean? And, um, and so you had, these, you had these women of all ages working in the temple, and you had young men who were prostitutes for a predominantly male clientele. It was an industry, including the many brothels that contributed to the economy. If you like, ancient first century sex workers. And because it was common in the culture, it became acceptable in the church. Paul says sexual immorality is wrong. It's unacceptable, it's sinful, and it's simple. It's like two plus two plus four, minus one, that's three quick maths. Simple. This ain't complicated. Like I said, sex is straightforward. Regardless of the point of view you might want to hold, from God's point of view, it's very, very straightforward. My second point is sex is, and it's going to bleed into the first point, sex is sacred. Sex is sacred. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, the brother says. Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Remember, the two become one in the act, that physical act of sex. I'm saying, you know, it's like something that's not often mentioned, but... When a, when, a, when a woman, more often than not, I know it's not always, but more often than not, when a, when a woman um, has sex for the first time like, as a virgin, she bleeds, isn't it? And you think, why? Why is that? Well, a part of the reason for that in terms of God's economy is because sex is a blood covenant. You know what I'm saying? And there's blood all over her and there's blood all over you as the man and you're consummating a relationship that is spiritual, it's supernatural, and there's blood everywhere. Why? Because it's a blood covenant. It's a binding covenant. And people want to take this thing like, like for joke. Like some men, like, they feel like, you know what I'm saying, they're heroic when they conquer a girl for the first time. That is so sick and twisted from God's economy. You know what I mean? He says, do you not know, verse 16, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? One. The two become one. And this is deep, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So there's a problem when you begin to mix and blend this. And these immature Christians were saying, you know what, I can do whatever I like, including, including sin. Like, including sin. Yeah, including sin. I don't even see that as a sin. Really? The Bible does. Paul the Apostle that planted the church, that shared the gospel with humans in the first place, the whole thing that you believe came from him, came from the Lord, and you've moved away from that, brother. I can do whatever I like, including sin, because nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, it says in Romans 8. And it does say that. And yes, a believer can sin. But like I said, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it going to be productive? And 
Are you not, are you not concerned that that sin may lead to slavery on your part? On my part? On our part? And sin is deceitful, it's deceptive. And it wants to capture you and make you its captive. But as Paul would say in another place, we're supposed to be slaves to Christ. And I'm saying, look, we're joined to the Lord and we've become one spirit with him. How are we going to... It's like oil and water, the two don't mix. And I'm saying, well, I can, I can do that as a Christian. God will forgive me. Hmm. Yeah, I know. And I'm saying, but you can't use the fact that God will forgive you, so therefore it's okay to sin. I'm saying, like, take, like I said earlier, take grace for granted. We can never use our Christian liberty, and we've got a lot of liberty as Christians. And I'm saying, we can't use our Christian liberty as an occasion to the flesh or as an occasion to sin. It's dangerous for us and for others. We can. Like, like, shall we continue in sin, if you like, Romans 6, in order that grace may abound? God forbid. Just put that up for me, please, Sam. Romans 6, verse 1 to 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. God forbid, I think King James says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. See, we were linked and connected to him in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Like B said last week, new life in an old world. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you're in Christ... Paul will say later on in 2 Corinthians, the, the sister book to this one, in chapter 5, verse 17, he'll say, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul writes that this is a wrong-headed standard for believers if you're casual and walking in cliches of the surrounding culture, walking in the way of the world, saying, I can do anything, it doesn't matter. It matters. I'm saying, Christian liberty is not an open excuse for sinful behavior or an ungodly attitude. And I'm saying, now we will drop, flop and we'll drop the ball and we'll make mistakes, in it. But please, let's not, let's not try and back that. Let's not try and back it for sexual impropriety. Some Christians, some, some Christians would be like, well, okay, let me weigh this up, you know. There's this sin that's, that I've got an option to, t- to, to do. Or something else I've got an option to do. You know what I'm saying? The question they ask is sometimes, will it take me to hell? If it takes me to hell, then whoa. And I'm saying, but boy, if it ain't going to take me to hell, you know, man, I'm just go chew in it. And then I just confess my sin afterwards and just ask God to forgive me, in it? It's calm. See? Will this sin take me to hell? That's not the right question. Instead, we must ask, Will this help me? And will it also help other people? I mean, that's apart from, is it sin? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Will this activity master me? Will it cause me to lose control of myself and indirectly affect others? Is a better question. Paul is urging the Christians 
to, as we said earlier, live up to, to who they are now in Christ and be contrasting to the world. He's encouraging them, and if you like, and by extension, all Christians, not just those in Corinth, but us right here in the 21st century. And I'm saying to make this, this the standard for our choices. And I'm saying this contrasts with, with living down. Let's live up to the standards rather than living down to the standards of what is acceptable in a sin-drenched culture. As believers, we got the option not just to do something, but we also got the option not to do something. We talked about power a couple of weeks ago. You know what I'm saying? That real power, and Paul even mentions it here, he talks about the power that God used to raise us up from the dead like he did the Lord Jesus. Right, real power. You know, often what we want to see, you know what I'm saying, is, is that power of God worked out in our lives, not just by the things that we do, helping out, caring for others, loving each other, and that's forgiving one another. Yeah, that's good. But also how about the things that we don't do? It takes power. <laughs> sometimes, maybe even more power sometimes. Can this sin take me to hell, you know? Paul said earlier in verse 9, you know what? If you really want a straight answer to that, actually, yes, it can. It can take you to hell. If it becomes your regular practice, and I contrast that with falling, stumbling, making a mistake in it. But the danger is, the danger is this is a very slippery slope, especially when it comes to sexual impropriety, sexual immorality. It's a slippery slope. I'm saying, and once you slip down that slope, like my mum would say back in the day, you're finny. <laughs> you're finished. <laughs> you know what I mean? You and I know when it comes to this issue of like sex, it's like you can get to a point of no return, no matter how strong you are. You know what I mean? You get to a point where you slip and you, you slide, you're going down. You know what I mean? You see references of that in, in the book of Proverbs. As, as it seems like Solomon is writing to his son and saying, son, let me tell you, and how many of you know Solomon is well qualified to talk about sexual impropriety and the implications of that? So is his father David. You know what I mean? These Corinthian Christians were saying, we can do anything. Paul said, no, you can't. No, you can't. If you're a Christian, you really only have two options. Two options as a believer, as a Christian. First of all, sex-free singleness. Sex-free singleness. That's option one. Option two is sexually active marriage. Sexually active marriage. Those are only two options. If you step out of the boundaries of sex-free singleness, it's fornication. Don't really hear that word kind of often nowadays. But that's the definition, having sex when you're not married. You know what I'm saying? Heterosexual, homosexual. And then when you breach the boundaries of sexually, act sexually active marriage, you breach them boundaries, 10 minutes to go already. I feel like I've only been here for 10 minutes. Um, nearly finished though. Sexually active marriage. When you breach the boundaries of, of, of sexually active marriage, then that's adultery. Single people don't commit adultery. Married people commit adultery. You know what I'm saying? 
But those are only two options, sex-free singleness or sexually active marriage. Now, you might not say it with your lips, you know what I'm saying? I should say we might not say it with our lips, but we say it with our life, don't we? You know what I'm saying? We'd never say something like, you know I'm saying? I don't care, man, I can do anything, generally speaking. But we'll say it with our life, you know what I'm saying? And often, our words don't mean nothing, often. You know what I mean? And we won't say it with our lips, but with our lives we'll say, I can do anything. I can have immoral sex. And we can hoodwink ourselves. There's, there's times when we will, we will even disagree with ourselves. I'll be like, you know, when you have that battle in your mind, like the spirit against the flesh, and in your mind you're like, you know, I'm going to do that, you know. And, and, and another, the other part of you says, what are you thinking? Are you mad? Have you lost your mind? So, man, you're like, no, I don't care, man. But you must care, because think about the implication. You know you have that battle within yourself. Well, I mean, I know, I know I do. And, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you're right, you can, you can do anything you want. You can, you can do it in the sense that no one can stop you. It's true. But the question, is it helpful? Is it expedient? Is it going to be beneficial? What happens when you eventually end up being enslaved by your sexual urges? Because how many of you know, talk about sex, being sexually enslaved. It's a real issue. You know what I mean? And it's not something to toy with. You know what I'm saying? It's like this power tool that, you know what I'm saying I was I was I had an auger on the end of my big old I, I got a dirty power drill. It's so powerful. It's not even it goes through concrete like butter. And I put this auger on the end of this power drill Tuesday, and I was I had to dig two 2.4 meter posts by 100 by 100 millimeter posts in the ground. You so you got to go down far. You got to go down like 600 millimeter. Shout out to YouTube. That's where I got all this info from. You know. Dig down in the thing, and the thing was spiraling and pulling out the soil nicely until I hit a piece of concrete. And when I hit a piece of concrete, the concrete never gave, the drill did. And there's my hand with it, and it literally span around about four times. I, and I know that because after I walked off with my hand mash up, thinking, at one point I was like, oh man, maybe it's just dislocated. I just go hospital and I just pop it back in. That's what I thought, because it never really swelled up at first. But when I turned around and looked at the drill, the drill was wrapped up in the cable, how the thing had spun round. And the fracture that I got is what they call a spiral fracture. So it goes literally like this. The crack in my bone spirals up into my hand. And um, I lost the battle. It was too powerful for me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, this issue of sin, this issue of sexual sin is too powerful for, for me. It's too powerful for you. Don't play. It's, it's, it's one of them powerful things you don't want to play with. You know what I mean? And that, the whole thing about foreplay, it's like one of the things we, we, we try to, to teach in our church in terms of giving helpful indications as to how to go about courtship. We don't call it dating. We don't rate dating. You know what I'm saying? The whole kissing and making out and hugging and, you know what I'm saying, sitting there watching... I'm saying movies that you should not watch with the lights down. Look, we don't recommend that because, you know, that stuff like kissing and hugging and, and um, snogging back in the day, they used to call it, 
that only leads to one place and you will get past the point of no return. You know what I mean? The, and, and, and those urges, those, those, those experiences become addictive. And I'm saying they're, they're good, isn't it? And you want more. And it, like I said, if it feels right, what can be so wrong about it? You know what I mean? Like the Bible gives loads of illustrations. One of them is one that I like, is of like sex being like fire. You know what I'm saying? And um, how many of you know fire, when it's in the hearth or it's in... You know what I'm saying? It's in, in, in a safe, enclosed environment. It's nice. When it's in the hearth, in the... What do they call that thing? I forget. Fire, fireplace, you know. <laughs> when it's in the fireplace, it's nice. It's safe. It gives nice, lovely glow to the room, and it's nice and warm. Nice. See, that's sex in marriage. Safe. It's not more. You know what I'm saying? It's nice. It's, it's nice. It's productive. It's beneficial. But you know what? When the fire jumps out of the half now, it's the next thing. When it breaches its, its proper and safe boundary, the fire can burn the house down. Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 4 says, Do not awaken love until it pleases. Love is an animal you... Listen, once it's out the cage, you know. <laughs> Sex is like fire. And you know, and you know what they say. You know, you know what they say happens when you play with fire. Verse eighteen, notice, it says, "Don't play with it." Verse eighteen says, "Flee, flee from sexual immorality." Like, get out. You seen the film? Get out. <laughs> That's what you mean. Like, fam, get out. Like, get out. This is my man clutching onto the sofa. It was too late. Tears running down his face. Too late, bruv. <laughs> Too late. You should have got out when you could have got out. See, now it's going to be peak. Peak for you. Verse 18 goes on to say, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual Im sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Earlier we talked about sex in the temple, Right? Aphrodite's temple, or the temple prostitutes. This is sex using the temple. Did you know that your body is a temple? Your body is spiritual. Therefore, whatever you do with your body is spiritual. And what you do or don't do as a Christian is true worship. Unlike the false worship in Greece at that time, and the false worship that's taking place all around us with regards to sexual infidelity. I can't believe this next program that I just saw recently where this one woman has 15 men she got to choose from to be her man. And she progressively just makes her way through all of them. And I, can't, I couldn't believe I see her kissing up and hugging up and loving up one of them. And then the next minute she's kissing up and hugging up and loving up the next one. I'm like, what on earth... And it's, 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 it's normal. It's normalized. It's like, it's on telly. It's on telly. It's like, whatever you do with your body is spiritual. And what you do or don't do as a Christian is true worship. Let's not get involved in the false worship. Because that's what it is. Sex is spiritual. Whatever you do with your body has spiritual implications. Notice what he says next. 
<laughs> Paul says, you are not your own. So you can't just do anything. You see that? You can't say, all things are lawful for me. I'm allowed to do anything. Paul says, no, no, you're not. He says, you are not your own. If you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, yeah, I mean, cool, you're doing your thing, isn't it? But like Pastor E said, you know that at a certain point, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. And I'm saying you're going to have to face God on judgment day with regards to those things that you do, that you know are wrong. But for the Christian, you know what I'm saying, it's like, it's like standard. We know this, right? This is not, like I said, this is quick maths. This is, this is, this is straightforward. This is not one of those gray areas, oh, we're not really sure, and, you know, like drinking. You know what I'm saying? You can have a drink. And Paul's going to actually tackle this later on in the book. You can, you know, where's the line between drinking and getting drunk? One is okay, one is not okay. But this is not that, you know what I'm saying? It says, it says you, Paul says, you're not your own. He says, you are bought with a price, so glorify God, if you're a believer, in your body. You're different. How many of you know spouses... Um, ought to make a solid commitment. I think this is a part of glorifying God. This is the last verse. This is a part of glorifying God in your body. You know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're, if you're single, you know what I'm saying, stay away from sex. I know it's hard. You know what I'm saying? That's why you need good people around you, good brothers and sisters around you to help you and support you and encourage you. You know what I'm saying? Encourage one another until the day when you possibly get married or not, as the case may be. You know what I mean? Don't listen to the lies of the world that, oh, you can't cope. You, how, how can you function with not glorify God? That's one way you glorify God in your body. Another way is spouses make a solid commitment to be faithful. And I'm saying, and we pray for grace as married people, innit, to that end. Like, I've I got a pastor, I've got a friend who's a pastor, and I remember him telling me, you know, he said he took, a, there was a young man in his church, he took out for a coffee, and this young man had just got married. And, um, and you know, like, the pastor was trying to share with him, you know, as a young married man, now you've got to be faithful to your wife. And, and, and the guy turned around to the pastor and said, said, I said, pastor, he says, come on now. He's like, like, you mean I've got to be faithful, like, like fully faithful? Like, come on now. Like, come on. Like, it was like, S -s surely you ain't been fully, fully faithful. Come on. Like, and, and it was like, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You've got to have a little thing on the side, isn't it? It's like, my brother said to him, nah, bro. <laughs> nah, brother. No. No, there ain't no thing on the side. Can you believe that? But again, this is the influence of the world, isn't it? And the culture that we live in. Two become one. Supernaturally, inexplicably, spiritually united to your spouse and your spouse alone. Secular sinful society sees promiscuity as inconsequential. You know what I'm saying? Some see like a one-night stand. Yeah, there's a connection, but it's like blue tack. If I have a one-night stand with someone, I have a little connection, but like blue tack, you just peel it off. You go about your business. That's how some people see it. Some people see, okay, well, let's, it's, it's right to have a longer-term relationship. You know, you kind of even move in together. You know what I'm saying? And you're together, and, and, and that connection is, is more than blue tack. It's, it's a bit like Velcro. I'm saying it's much stiffer and more concrete as it were, but you can always pull it apart and one person can go their separate way and the other person can go their separate way. 
So the different ways that people can look at it. But Christianity don't see it like blue tack and like even like Velcro. It's like like relationship, like marriage is like epoxy. You know, epoxy is where you get them two chemicals. And when you, they're both in separate bottles. And when you mix them and they merge, and then they connect with the surfaces that you're joining, they literally chemically bond with the surfaces. So if it's wood, it chemically bonds with the wood and it chemically bonds with the metal. You know what I'm saying? And the join is actually more stronger than the two materials that you're connecting it with. The two become one. We ain't got time. But we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians 7, isn't it? Um, I've got a quote here from John MacArthur with regards to this. Let me just read it quickly and try and keep it moving. We'll be done in five minutes. John MacArthur says this. He says, This is partly why Exodus chapter 22 verse 16 says, When an unmarried man sleeps with a woman, he must marry her. Now, now this is Old Testament. We're not trying to, trying to apply that directly, but... The implications are, you know what, when you, when you have sex with someone, it's, you can't, it's not something you just, you, just, you just get up and walk away from. No! In that culture, it was like, no, this, isn't it? So you know you get involved with somebody, what, and they get, okay, cool, you know what's coming next. Or the other alternative was possible stoning, especially if it was adultery. And I'm saying... And then the other thing he then goes on to say, they have consummated a spiritual union. And that's why when a married person breaks their vow and has sex outside the marriage, that is actually kind of grounds for divorce. Now, we wouldn't encourage it. Someone commits adultery in a marriage, we'd be like, this is not good, man. But the person repents, they come back, you know what I'm saying? And it's tough for a husband to forgive his wife when she's done a dirty on him. You know what I mean? We'd encourage that, innit? Especially if the person's repentant and know that they dropped the... It's like, we try and recommend that you come back together, innit? But you can't not say that that person doesn't have the right to... We believe that Jesus gives them the right to say, you know what, you committed adultery, this is grounds for divorce. You know what I'm saying? Now, there are three different perspectives, and we'll unpack that when we get to chapter 7. Holler at, uh, big up yourself, Mikey P, Pastor Mike. He's going to have to tackle that one there. Um, and Pastor E dealt with that a, like a number of years back. So you can go back in our podcasts and, and have a look at that. Um, it's, it's a couple of years. It's, 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 yeah, it's probably, about, probably, probably about 10 years ago. Five, five, 10 years ago? Was it right here? Okay, so maybe five, five years ago or so. Um, you can have a look at that. Um, yes, can't unpack that now. Um, <clears throat> the two shall be one. The two shall be one. It's, and it's bad if it happens between two people when they get separated after they've had sex. You know and I'm saying, but you know what? I look at this and I think to myself, this is mad because if two people come together and they're one, what happens when a person has multiple partners? Like, what a madness. How many people has one person now become attached to? It's no surprise that so many people are messed up mentally, relationally, psychologically, socially, and spiritually. And the fact that people, you know what I'm saying, like feel that they have to have it and they keep going back and making these same mistakes, you know what I'm saying, um, it fuels a whole world of destruction. You know, pornography and, and what has been termed a sex industry, prostitution, Sex trafficking, child sexual abuse and exploitation, like 
all of this, this, this quote-unquote industry is all fueled by people who say, I have to have it. Sex, that is. All things are lawful, I can do anything. But come on now, are all things beneficial? All things are lawful, I can do anything. Yeah, you can. No one can stop you or tell you what to do. But know that there are implications to those actions. I know a lady that told me that she had a, a sexual encounter when she was 18. And now at 58, she's still paying the price. A moment of pleasure for a lifetime of pain that she has had to endure because of that one encounter. That one encounter. She's someone, this, this elder, older lady now, I can't say elderly, I'm in my 50s. This older lady, you know what I'm saying? She's someone that I send young ladies to when they tell me, oh, he wants, he wants, he wants to have sex with me. And you know, he, he says, if I, don't, if, if I don't have sex, I don't really love him. I'm saying, you know what, sis, look, go and chat to my girl and let her tell you while well, go on. I mean, you don't have to do that to prove you love him. If anything, if anyone needs to prove anything, it's him needs to prove his love to you by marrying you, not taking sexual advantage of you. I'm saying he needs to be protecting you from the, from the most dangerous predator, which is him. I mean, no man tell you that. And I mean, like two quotes left. Um, Vody Bokham, I love Vody on this issue. Vody's got some videos on YouTube. Just type in Vody Bokham and marriage. Three of them, classics. Vody says, you know what? He says... I believe God has spoken rather decisively in his word about what our daughters should look for. Now, this is based on a book that he wrote called What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter. You know what I'm saying? What he must, you want to marry my daughter? Cool. Well, this is what I'm saying you need to be from. He says, I believe God has spoken rather decisively in his word about what our daughters should look for. And, you know, a lot of the, I don't know, I don't know, go there about what our daughters should look for. Moreover, I believe there are some non-negotiables that our daughters must be looking for. There are some things a man simply must be before he's qualified to assume the role of a Christian husband. Go to the next one, next slide for me, and then we're done. For instance, he must be... Now, there are four things he gives, but there, there are actually six here, um, but four fundamentally. For instance, he must be a Christian, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. He must be committed to biblical headship, Ephesians 5. He must welcome children, Psalm 127. He must be a suitable priest so he can pray for, everyone, for his wife and for everyone else in his family, which is the job of the priest who intercedes on behalf of others. He must be a prophet, which is the opposite. The priest hears the people and goes to God on their behalf. The prophet hears from God and takes God's word to the people. He must be a prophet, Ephesians 6. He must be a protector, which is the point I just made, Nehemiah 4, and he must be a provider. You know what I'm saying? First Timothy 5. You'd be like, boy, Pastor Rob, why didn't you tell me this before I got married to this brother? Because <laughs> he ate none of them things. Well, now you can pray that the Lord will help him to become those things. You know what I'm saying? But I think if the ladies were a bit more careful in selecting men like this, then we wouldn't see so much disaster. But at the same time, it's not just the ladies' responsibility. It's the men's responsibility to be this guy. And I'm saying a man who does not possess or at least show strong signs of these and other basic characteristics does not meet the basic job description laid down for husbands in the Bible. Boy, for the hardcore. Jeez. Sex is straightforward. It's really not complicated. If you're not married, no sex. If you're married, lots of sex. 
I'm saying. If you're not married and you breach those, that's fornication. If you're married and you breach those, that's adultery. Sex is straightforward and sex is sacred. And I'm saying it's a holy thing. When two come together, you're becoming, you, you have become one. And I'm saying don't see it as a minor, it's a major. Sex is spiritual. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, uh, you would take the, um, the mumbling and the fumbling and um, the maybe not so put together um, message and, 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 and empower it, Lord. Breathe, Lord, on these words that I've shared and spoken. And Lord, apart from the things I've said, Lord, speak between the lines. Lord, you know every single person that's listening, that's watching. And um, Lord, thank you that you're able by your spirit to speak and to challenge, to convince, to encourage, to celebrate. Um, thank you for sex, and that is it's a wonderful thing that you've provided. Um, yet, Lord, help us to keep it in its proper place. Otherwise, it will bond down the house, and we don't want that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers to take this to heart and not just say we can do anything because of the serious implications. And Lord, if there's someone who's watching and listening and they're not a believer, Lord, help them to be con convicted, Lord, of behaving in ways that are not consistent with your word, not consistent with your principles. Lord, you've given this to us for our benefit. Lord, children's lives are wrecked because men and women don't take this seriously. We have over 50,000 young people in care because their parents can't manage them, can't look after them, can't take care of them. And Lord, those hurt people go on to hurt people. It's, Lord, it's just such a terrible domino effect, and that's just one aspect. Lord, I'm talking about SDIs and unwanted pregnancy, and Lord, so much damage. I pray, Father, you would take this message and apply it to our lives in ways that are really beneficial, really productive, really helpful in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.